morning, everyone, again. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel, book of 1 Samuel. What we're going to look at today are just a few events from the life of Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel. And if you know anything about this story, or about his life story, rather, you would know that he wasn't really a great king, was he? All right. So much so that God decided to replace him with David, somebody that's a man after God's own heart. You know, he was looking for somebody, God was looking for somebody that would follow him, that would trust him, that would obey him, no matter what. And we know Saul was not that man. But, you know, Saul didn't start out that way. If he did, you know, God might never have chosen him to be king in the first place, right? As we'll see today, and you'll want to keep your Bibles handy today, right? Don't shut it after the first verse, because we're going to look at a few texts. But as you'll see today, that Saul actually started off pretty good at the beginning. But not long, not long after he was anointed as king, we start to see this decline of his, and then his subsequent rejection by God. And we're just going to look at a little bit of that story. Time wouldn't allow us to look at everything that I wanted to today. But I believe that there's a lot for us to learn from the life of Saul, as there are in any of the texts that we find in the Old Testament. You know, Paul told us in Romans 15 verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, the Scriptures of the Old Testament are there for our learning. It is, there, it is able to also comfort us. It is able to provide a foundation of hope for us, which is all the promises of God, isn't it? All the promises directed to the body of Christ, of course. But that is what it's there for. And there are so many lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament Scriptures. It is not something that we as New Testament believers simply want to dismiss. We don't just want to put the Old Testament away and say, we're not under that anymore. There's so much that we can learn from that. You know, Paul also wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What are these scriptures that he talked about? Well, obviously, by the time Paul was writing to Timothy, he meant the Old Testament scriptures because he was still busy working on the New Testament, right? So he says, he continues to say that it's there that the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. And so as we read about the character of Saul and, and all of these characters, besides learning about the history of what happened there and, all, and shaming him for all the choices that he made. And yes, he deserves to be shamed for that. We can also look at what happened to him so that we can be instructed by those events and by those, by those choices. And we can look into our own hearts. We can look at our own lives. And we can be corrected. We can be reproved by them. So that in the end, like Paul said, we may be truly furnished unto all good works. So before we start, let's just bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you've given us your word. Lord, thank you that we've already had an opportunity this morning to hear from your word. Lord, and thank you that we have another opportunity. And Lord, we thank you so much that 
you've given us everything that we need to live good godly lives in this world. Please help us this morning. Lord, help us to open up our ears, to open up our hearts. Please take away all of the distractions that there may be uh, from our lives, maybe something that we brought in, Lord, something, maybe something that happens here, whatever it may be. Please help us, Lord, to listen to your voice this morning. Speak to every one of us. Lord, please change us and show us what we need to change in our lives or maybe there's something we need to repent of, whatever it may be. Thank you, Lord, for guiding us. Thank you for being with us. Amen. All right, now, we know from 1 Samuel chapter 8, if you, if you go read that, we're not going to read something from that now, but the children of Israel came to Samuel and they demanded a king from him. Now, the reason for it was simple. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They didn't even hide that fact. They just said, we want to be like the rest. Please give us a king. They wanted a king. They wanted a man to rule over them. You know, up until then, God was the one that was their king. God was the one that ruled over them. They wanted a man. They wanted a man to give them guidance. They wanted a man to fight their battles for them. Now, there's a lot to say about this fact alone, all right, but that's a whole nother sermon. That's, that's not today's sermon. But as the Lord told Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7, when they requested this king from Samuel, they weren't rejecting Samuel. Because remember, Samuel is the last of all the judges. You know, we, we come from the book of Judges. We read about all the judges. The Samuel, Samuel is the last one in line there. And then he hands over to the king then from there on out. So they weren't rejecting Samuel. God says they were rejecting him when they asked for a king, because they didn't want him to rule over them anymore. They wanted a man to rule over them and to reign them because they wanted to be like all the other nations. Now, that's when we get introduced to Saul. So that's in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Let's just read together here, verse 1. Now, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a mighty man of power. So this is a rich guy, right? And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. As you see here in verse 2, that, that's what we get from Saul. <laughs> we hear a lot about his appearance, right? That, that, that was a big thing. He was a choice young man. He was goodly, meaning that, that he was a big man. All right? Saul was a big, tall, handsome young man. There's nothing wrong with being big, tall, and handsome. All right? then, then don't worry about that. All right? He was taller than all the other people. That, that, that's quite an interesting thing to read about it as well. Now, that's not something you can control. You can't control your looks. You can't control your height. You can't control any of those things. Those were the things that Saul had, and that's fine. But a lot of emphasis was placed in this time on what the king looks like. You know, if you would ask a painter to paint you a picture of, paint me the perfect king, you would sort of get the picture of Saul coming out of there. Just this big, strong, mighty, handsome young man coming out of there. And I, I guess that's for obvious reasons, you know. And this is the exact type of king that Israel was interested in having. Maybe that's, that's why, maybe that's part of the reason why God chose him. Now, we read that Saul's father then sent him to look for a bunch of donkeys that got lost. 
And after looking for a while, they figure they will go to Samuel, who is the prophet, and, and he'll be able to tell them where the donkeys were. And as soon as Samuel saw Saul, in that moment, God told Samuel that this is the man that you should anoint as king, as the first king. And it is then that Samuel goes forward and he anoints Saul as king over Israel. After his anointing, Samuel then sent Saul on a journey. And he tells him, you're going to meet this person and that person, this and that is going to happen. We can read that actually in 1 Samuel 10, verse 2. <clears throat> he says, when thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zalzah. And they will say unto thee, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses, and sorroweth for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? So his father is getting worried about Saul now. Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread. <laughs> the guy with the three kids is a lot more to carry. <laughs> and, 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 and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee, and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. And thou... After that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery, a tabret, and a pipe, and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. So it's this band of singing prophets coming down, right? And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. So why did Samuel give Saul all of these very, very specific prophecies of what's going to happen? Well, I think it is to show that God is behind all of this, right? Who else can tell you what's going to happen an hour from now exactly? Who you're going to meet, how many loaves of bread they're going to carry, all, all of those things. It's only God that can do that. But did, you saw what Samuel told Saul there in verse 6. He says that the Holy Spirit will come upon Saul and he will be turned into another man. The Holy Spirit would come and he would uniquely equip Saul, unlike he was ever equipped before, before this happened. He will uniquely equip him to be king of Israel. God will give him everything he needed to perform the duty as a God-fearing and a God-honoring king. He would have all of that in his toolbox. It's right there, ready to use. Just like he equipped men like Gideon. Right? You remember how God equipped him as well with the Holy Spirit. Now, Saul was not yet that man at this point. All right? But God would make him into that man. He would be turned into another man as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon him. Now, there's an obvious connection here, I think, between Saul being turned into another man when the Holy Spirit came upon him, and any other New Testament believer that puts their faith and their trust in Christ to be saved, and then the Holy Spirit comes in them, and they are turned into another man. But you see, in our case, it's so much better. You know, in Saul's case, the Holy Spirit came upon him. In our case, if we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and he stays. He never leaves. In Saul's case, we, we know if we read further on, the Holy Spirit left him, and he was alone without him. But the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and the moment he does that, I don't know if that's anybody's alarm, 
But the, the, the very moment that the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, He makes you a brand new man, a new person. All right? And we call this, as Jesus referred to this, as being born again. You've heard that term before, being born again. Most of you are born again here. But the picture here about this is simple. And, and I want to explain this because there's a fair bit of confusion I've noticed as I speak to people about what it means to be born again. Everybody has a different idea on this thing. But, but it's actually not that tough, you know. It literally means to start a new life. That's what it is. To be born again is to start a new life. Think about the first time that you were born. You came out as a cute little baby, right? And then you turned ugly after that. But, <laughs> but everything was new, right? Everything was new. You can look at these little children running around. Everything is exciting. Everything is amazing. They, they will stare with these big eyes at things that are just so simple. And you think, well, that's so ordinary. But they love it. They put everything in their mouths because they want to know what it tastes like. <laughs> all right? Because all these things are just so new. At this point in a person's life, every experience is a new experience. Now the same goes for that moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ to save you. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. He makes you a new person. And you, everything then becomes new again. No, you don't look you know, with googly eyes at everything that you can see. That's, that's kind of what it is. But your desires change. You really become new. Your very reason for living changes that moment that he makes you a new person. And then when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are also uniquely empowered by God through his Spirit to live the Christian life a good, godly life while you are still here on, on this earth. He gives you, once again, all the tools right there in your toolbox, ready to go. In Saul's case, like I said, we know that the Holy Spirit left him at some point, but he, he will never leave us. That's one of the promises that we have in him. He will never leave us. And you know what? He gave us those promises beforehand so that you can trust him and so that you can know that he is the one making all of those changes in your life. It's not you, you know, sort of using your will to change yourself. It is Him working inside of you to change you. Now the prophecies, we, we can read there, but the, the prophecies that the Lord gave to Saul through Samuel, all of them came true, exactly like, like He said He would. Now after Saul was then revealed as the king of Israel, the Ammonites came up against them at Jabesh-Gilead. Now, the men of Jabesh were so afraid when this happened, so they proposed something to Naash. Naash was the king of the Ammonites. He pro they proposed a covenant to make a covenant with them. And they said that we're going to send messengers out, and if we don't get any help back from the rest of Israel, we'll be your servants. And now, Naash, I, I think he was probably a very proud king, and he, he's like, well, that, that sounds like a good deal because. He might even get a fight out of this and show some, so show some of his strength, right? That's something, um, somebody that's overtaken with proud, pride just wants to do that all the time. And so Naiah said, fine, let's, let's go that way. Now look at Saul's reaction when he heard this. So that's chapter 11 and verse 5. It says here, And behold, Saul came after the herd of the field, and Saul said, what aileth the people that they weep? 
And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And so after this, Saul sends out messengers to all of Israel um, to call in soldiers for this battle. And the response was phenomenal. He received about 330,000 men that responded. They showed up ready to fight. And then they properly <laughs> defeated the Ammonites. Look at verse 11. It says here, and, and it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the host in the morning watch. So that's before the sun is up. They, they, were already, they already started. And slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. So until midday more or less. All right? they, they slew the Ammonites. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. That's a proper victory, right? In Afrikaans we'd say that's a paksla, okay? <laughs> that's exactly what it is, all right? Now before this, after Saul was revealed to be king of Israel, you know, to Israel, there were a bunch of rebels that despised Saul. And in chapter 10 and verse 27, we read that they asked, how shall this man save us, right? Now after this victory, over the Ammonites, I mean, I guess we can say Saul proved himself, right, to be, to be a king, all right? He's, he's able to command the, the soldiers and all of that and to make good strategies. And so the people wanted to find those rebellious men that, that said those things about Saul, and they wanted to put them to death. Now, and it is here where I think we see the peak of Saul's rule as king. Now look at verse 13 in chapter 11. Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath, the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. That's a high point for Saul, right? I don't think that it's necessarily a statement that we normally associate with somebody like Saul after we know the entire story of how everything unfolded. But here, Saul is giving the glory to God alone for the victory. He takes no credit for it. You won't find it in the story. He doesn't take credit for his ability to rally so many troops around him to come and fight the Ammonites. He doesn't take any credit in the strategy that he proposed you know, to, to defeat them. He doesn't take any credit for his bravery or his soldiers' bravery. None of it. And he, he could have easily taken credit for all of that. And he could even put those rebellious men to death. And, and thereby also making a show of his strength, right? And of his command. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead of having people look at himself, he pointed them, redirected their gaze towards God, and he said that God um, gave them the victory. He gave God the glory for that victory on that day. And that's the kind of attitude that every child of God should have. You know, taking all the glory for something... Is, is, is really something that's alluring for people. It's a great temptation, right? Because we want to see our name in lights. Right, that, that, that's what we want. We want the big pictures, the big billboards, and all of that, those things. Look at me, look at how great I am. Folks, that's something that we need to guard our hearts against. Now, why is that? Well, because the thing that you give the glory, or the person that you give the glory, well, that shows in which person you are trusting. Okay, If you take all of the glory to yourself for any kind of victory or anything that happens, well, that is an admission 
that you think that you achieved it through your own strength, through your own intellect, through your own connections, or through your own money, or, or, or talents, or whatever it may be. All right? That's, that's you taking credit for all of that. And you are not recognizing the one that gave you all of those things in the first place. That's what happens there. You know, James 4 verse 6 quote, quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, but he says there, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So what is that? Well, that means he rejects those that trust in themselves. That's what pride is, isn't it? Trusting in yourself. He rejects those, but he gives grace to the humble. A believer should always take care to, to have a humble heart. The New Testament has a lot to say about that. And you know, there's no greater example of humbling yourself than the Lord Jesus himself. You know, we read in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, we should have the same mind or the same attitude as Christ in this. And he says there, who being, for, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. So Jesus humbled himself even by just becoming a man. All right? That's a big step down for him from being God. All right? By becoming a man, he humbled himself. And then he went even further. He, he made himself a servant. And then even further, he says there, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus stepped down, and he stepped down, and he stepped down again to the lowest of the lows, and he died one of the, the worst and the brutalest kinds of death, like the vilest of criminals died. That's how he died, willingly. He humbled himself um, to that point. And so we are called to have that same attitude as Christ did, and we need to humble ourselves. We need to keep that humble heart and we need to do it in a way that will glorify God, just like Jesus did. He glorified his Father. He always glorified his Father. And that's exactly what we should do. Psalm 115 tells us, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Now that sounds a lot like the 24 elders that we read about in Revelation chapter 4, you know, that are constantly worshipping in front of the throne of God, and they're worshipping and saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. If you were wondering what your purpose in life is, well, it is to give glory unto God. That's why He made you. Now, after Saul was king for two years, he, met with, he was met with a formidable challenge. Look, look at uh, chapter 13 with me. Chapter 13. <clears throat> Let's get verse 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Bethaven. Now, I think you will agree, this is a big problem, all right? This is a lot of Philistines. I mean, did you see those numbers? 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and then, 
if you just look up and you look at the Philistines, you just see people. And it looks like the sand at the shore of the sea, right? It's just people, people, people everywhere. That, that, that'll make you shake a bit, all right? And to make, make matters worse, none of the Israelites had any weapons of war. Look at uh, verse 19. It says there, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found. <laughs> Israel was under such oppression, oppression from the Philistines that they didn't even have any weapons. No weapons. To make this humiliation even worse, whenever they wanted to go and sharpen just some of their farming tools, they had to go to the Philistines, they had to pay the Philistines to sharpen it for them, because the Philistines um, made it so that there were no blacksmiths in, in, in Israel, so, they could, so that they couldn't make any weapons. That's, that's a pretty terrible situation to be in. And now, as we see here, only two people, two men, had weapons, Saul and his son, against that mighty army. It's crazy. <laughs> On top of that, you know, the men of Israel, they all got so scared that they hid themselves <laughs> in whatever hole they could find. Look at verse 6. It says, that When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people that hid them, that hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits, and some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. <laughs> now we, saw, we see later in verse 15 that you know, once um, this situation is done, and he counted the men, there were only 600 men left with Saul. Only 600 left. Now put yourself in Saul's shoes for a, man, for a minute. What would you do? Now, back in chapter 10 and verse 8, Samuel told Saul to go and wait for him in Gilgal, wait seven days, and then Samuel would come, and he would bring the burnt offering and you know, all the offerings and the sacrifices, and then they will hear from the Lord what they should be doing. All right? So what do you do? <laughs> Saul, what do you do? It looks like Saul attempted to obey this command you know, that he received. So he waited a little. Look at verse 8. And he tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. Saul was scared. He was scared. He was genuinely scared, and I, I can't say I blame him, all right? In front of him, he had this massive Philistine force that wants to come and attack him and annihilate him. When he looks behind him, all of his people have forsaken him. They've all fled. He's only got about 600 men left. Now, that's double the amount, by the way, of what Gideon had. If you remember the story of Gideon, he only had 300 people and the God, uh, God still saved him. But I think Saul probably forgot that story during this moment. I don't know. But Saul's patience then ran out. He, he was tired of waiting Samuel. 
And he said to himself, well, Samuel, I might as well do it myself. And, it, and, and then he brought this offering, and it is right then, <laughs> all right? right? But at least he would have repaired his relationship with God, which is a big thing already, right? At least that would have been repaired. And that's how you stop this gradual decline in your own life. And folks, seriously, if you, if you notice this decline in your life, it's time to stop. <laughs> it's time to take a pause. It's time to take this seriously. If, maybe you notice it. Maybe somebody points it out in your life and say, wow, you've, you've been, I mean, faithful to God and all of that. What's going on with you now? That's your wake-up call. Right? That, that's exactly what Nathan did to David, isn't it? After David's sin, well, David continued. All right? And Nathan came and he stuck his finger in, his, uh, in David's face and said, you sinned against God. Now, David didn't react like Saul reacted. David repented. The punishment was still there. David still lost his son. Right? But at least his relationship with God was fixed. At that point. And folks, that's the only way for us. <laughs> it's by repenting. If you just leave it, you're bound to be disobedient again, just like Saul was. We won't have time to read chapter 15 today, but Saul was disobedient again, and finally the Holy Spirit left him. <laughs> he was left to himself. When you, when you see this happening in your life, it's time to admit what you have done. It's time to Ask God for forgiveness, confess it to Him, and turn away from it. Don't do it again. Okay? Say, God, I want to do better. Please help me. You've equipped me with your Holy Spirit. <laughs> You've empowered me through your Spirit. Please help me. We need to be aware of this decline in our lives for when it happens. You know, it is good every now and again just to pause. Just put everything on hold for a little bit. Maybe examine your life a little. Examine your heart. And when I say examine your life, look at the things that you have done. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> we love to do that, right? Eh? Because every man will proclaim his own goodness, <laughs> right? We want to think good things about ourselves. Be truthful. Look at the things that you've been doing from all angles. Look at the things that are going on in your heart. Look or try to see if there's any disobedience in your heart. Is there any distrust against God in your heart? Or in your life? Is your life showing any fruits of that? Because that's, that's the time when you should hit the brakes. That's the time when you should repent from that. So how do you know what you should obey? Well, read your Bible. Really, it is that simple. Read your Bible. All right? If you find something that you need to change, change it immediately. If you find something that you see you need to do, do it now. Don't leave it. Do it now. Right? That's how you stop this thing. Now, this is a lifelong practice for all of us believers. Right? To keep on maintaining ourselves and, and, and keep on being sanctified, keep on uh, just growing more into the image of Christ. But you're not doing it alone. You're not doing it alone. We've got the promise of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Maybe you need to trust God for that. Now, if you've never been born again, folks, like I spoke about in the, in the beginning a little bit, 
the best way for you to be obedient to God, all right, is to put your faith and your trust in Christ alone, not in your own works, in Christ alone to save you. That's the only way for you to be saved. And you know why I say this is obedience? Well, because the Bible says that God com now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's a command from your God, whether you recognize Him as your God or not. That's what He's commanding you to do. That's the best way for you to be obedient right now, if you are not saved, if you are not born again. But whether you are saved or whether you are not saved, the best time to start obeying God, to start trusting God, is now. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are so fickle. <laughs> we are so easily blown over by the trials of this life. Sometimes it gets really rough, Lord. Sometimes it's really, really tough. But we know we can trust you. Please remind us of that. Please remind us to keep on trusting you. Please help us not to give way because of the heat of the battle. Please help us to, to obey you in all things. Lord, we thank you for all the promises that we have in Christ. All the blessings. Thank you, Lord, for being with us everywhere we go. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that we can know that whether we are in this life or out of this life, we are with you. That's such a blessing. Lord, I want to pray for folks that may not be saved yet. And Lord, that you will please work in their hearts and bring them to you. You are the only way. And we, we wouldn't have it any other way, Lord. <laughs> you've, you've freely given us eternal life. So you're presenting that gift to those people today and we ask that you, they will please receive you this, this day. Father, please go with us and please work in our hearts. Please remind us of what we've learned today. Please don't let the fowls of the air come and steal all those things away. Oh Lord, thank you that you are always faithful even though we are not. <laughs> Thank you so much. Praise your name. Amen.